Sunny 16 presents. Welcome to episode six of I Dream of Cameras. My name is Jeff Greenstein. And I'm Gabe Sachs. Welcome. This is the podcast about cameras and camera collecting brought to you by the gang at the Sunny 16 podcast. It's episode six, gang. Episode it's six. It's really, it's episode six, but I like to call it, we're on episode 12 if you cut them in half. There so you we're go. actually almost in TV years, we're almost at a full season. Well, I was actually going to bring this up because... Yeah. Episode six has a special meaning to those of us in the television business. Would you like yes, to talk does. about what that meaning yes, is, Gabe? Yes, it does. It's uh, the term on the bubble, or <laughs> you, you, could, you could use a lot of, you know, six is when you know that um, things are going really well or it's going to go bye-bye. Yes. Pretty it's much. It's around the time that they are either talking about picking up the options, maybe extending you for a full season, or you start to notice that the promos aren't running anymore. Or and- anywhere. Right, and the actor's agents are saying, listen, she's got an offer in second position. <laughs> you get a lot of that. You get yes, a lot, you get a of, lot uh, of that. They've got offers on another thing and, and pretty much not getting calls. And Or you turn in your script and there's no notes. Right, we it, love All of it. a sudden, it's perfect. We, yes, it's great. It's great they've job. literally pushed it off their desk. <laughs> they've had enough. They're on to the next thing. So this is episode six. So we're hoping to get our back nine pickup. We're hoping to stick around for the back nine. Right. The the overall topic, I'm always looking for an overall topic for these things. The overall topic of this episode is the search for perfection. But I want to start on a little sidebar because I've had a couple of experiences recently in which the search for perfection has taken me to the land of the rising sun, to Japan. Wow. Yeah. Have you ever been to Japan? I have not been to Japan. I would love to go to Japan because I'm Me a crazy too. foodie and I would love to take pictures there. But yes. I have a whole set of bookmarks for a planned trip to Japan. My son is actually fluent in Japanese. And oh, so, wow. yeah, started taking Japanese lessons when he was like five years old. And so I have always been hoping to jolly him into accompanying me to Tokyo so we can go to Shinjuku and go to all the camera stores oh, that absolutely. I see on everybody's feed. Like, it looks like a Valhalla of cameras. And of course, when we are on eBay, looking for the camera of our dreams, invariably, you will see that some seller in Stamford, Connecticut, has it for $520, but some seller in Japan has it for 260 And the temptation takes hold, doesn't it, Gabe? Yeah, and also the vision of those places you see on YouTube, those massive camera stores with the windows filled with the coolest camera stuff, and you're just going, oh my gosh, I want that gear. So when I see that on eBay, I'm thinking... Oh my gosh, they just must have so many cameras that they're going to yeah. sell it at this great deal. And uh, so I'm always tempted to go there. But then I go, okay, now I'm nervous. Now I'm not yeah. sure how long is it going to take? What's going to, exactly. you know, is, is there going to yeah. be one thing wrong with it that I'm, you know, that I'm upset about or I, I'm too nervous to do it? Yeah. And I usually hesitate. But every once in a while, if you're looking for a very specific type of camera, right? particularly ones that were, you know, for example, I, I posted on the Instagram feed about this. I got an Olympus M1 recently, which it's is a beauty. Early, it's very beautiful. It's the early variant of the OM1 before Leica made them change the name. Now, the first 50,000 M1s were primarily sold in Japan. You don't see them anywhere else. So if you want an M1... of the ones that you're going to find are going to be in Japan. You don't really have any choice. Right. And so I bought an M1 from a Japanese seller with a high feedback rating. And of course, there's that checklist where they say finder, beautiful, perfect, all mechanicals, perfect. And it arrives and it is not perfect. It has Now, how was the communication? Tell me about that. How was the communication once it arrived and was imperfect? No, 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 with the seller. Just with the seller in the beginning. Did you contact him and ask a few questions, feel around, or you just went for it? I went for it. Wow, you're brave. Well, it was far superior to the other M1s that were out there. You could just tell from the visuals. You know, I've I've gotten pretty good at taking a look at the pictures, and I can tell, you know, if the foam has decayed and they've never replaced it. Or if there are, you know, if there's an obvious thumbprint in the middle of the lens and they didn't even bother to wipe it off before photographing, you know, those things. And this one was in extraordinarily good shape visually. And the seller had one of those, like, one of eBay's highest rated sellers. 
Perfect. Yeah. Sometimes I ask a question, but this time I didn't. And so I bought it and it arrived and I unwrapped it breathlessly and it looked immaculate, except the finder, not good at all. And hmm. apparently in the early OM1s, and this is very boring, but the foam around the peniprism decays and kind of goops into the lower edge of the viewfinder to the point where Olympus actually eliminated that foam on later OM1s. It ah, didn't actually okay, so, so yeah, that's something that would have happened. So, yes, and so I messaged the... And it's, of course, you're torn because it was 30 bucks to ship it from Japan. It arrived in five days. Good for the guy. He sent it DHL. It arrived very quickly. But I'm torn because I don't really want to return it. So I wrote to him and I said, hey, listen. And I described, I said, look, this camera's in great shape, except I don't think your description of the finder was accurate. And I sent him a photograph and I said, would you be willing to just give me a little credit toward the purchase? Because it's going to be expensive to fix. So I asked him for a credit of $100. Because that's at least, I mean, most CLAs are going to be at least that. Yes. Do you know what his response was? Nothing. Who is this? <laughs> no response well, whatsoever. Or maybe he's busy. It's been a week. Well, I give it one more week. Okay. I will right. tell you this, that I, no matter where the item's located, whatever part of the world it is, I always ask a couple questions to sort of in my mind, get a feel for their personality or if they're just, you know, so selling smart. it. And I sort of do that. It doesn't matter where they're from. And I now I'm remembering I did order a lens from Japan and it was great. It was actually now now I'm remembering. And yeah. uh, it was a Sumitar uh, for my Leica and it was really clean. The ones that I was finding were not. And that experience was great, but it was a very long time ago. But you know. That is very smart, though. Like, warm them up a little bit and get a yeah, vibe. Yeah, exactly. That's extremely smart. And see how responsive they are. Yeah. Because if they don't email back right away, you're like, oh, all right, this is a guy who doesn't email back right away, right. so I won't have any. But I also have kind of devised, because I've had three recent purchases from Japan. Usually when I'm doing a search, I check that box that says North America only. Right. But again, in the case of I was looking for a Wide Lux, I was looking for an Olympus Pen W, which is a very rare Right. Olympus half-frame camera. And right. in the case of the Pen W, it arrived and it was so bad, like not operational, that right. I just asked for a return and the seller processed the return fairly promptly. That was fine. In the case of the Wide Lux, the camera started okay, but after some use, it became clear it was going to need a CLA, and so I never really reached out to that guy. But I feel like I have sort of now a 20% rule, which is... If if the let's say the camera is two hundred fifty dollars, mm -hmm. think of it as three hundred. That's the best way to do it. Always think of it as a, there's a CLA or there's some repair. I do that wherever I buy the camera. Like even yeah. on Craigslist or anything, I go okay. I'm going to get this for this amount. Then if I add another couple hundred dollars to fix it, I always feel better doing that. That's really smart. I just have to start factoring that in. It's almost like a purchase tax. Yeah. Like, oh, just assume. That, don't start with the purchase. The purchase tax makes me crazy. It just does. I, when I'm on eBay in the old days, you bought oh, yeah. something, it's for $200. It's $200. And California I, sales tax, guys, is 8.5%. Am I right about that? 85 or 8 and 3 quarter? Something like that? It will soak you. Like, yeah, you don't factor when you press it buy in. It now, when you press buy it now, it says, oh my gosh, it's the same price. But then when you check out... And that's it's too right. late. Yes. So, yes, that's right. I'm uh, angry Yeah, sales tax is a drag. Yeah. Now, but yeah, and I guess that applies to all online retailers now. I was really surprised the first time that showed up. Um, yep. Quite taken oh, aback. I, yeah, I was taken aback too. I was like, But what? now you, you'd have done some buying through Facebook Marketplace, right? Yes, Facebook Marketplace. I've never done this. There. Okay, so there are a bunch of groups like camera gear groups, you can get as specific as, you know, Leica gear and Sony gear, and there's tons and tons of groups. And I've had great experience. Uh, my friends have had great experiences where, where they'll find something really specific. And it's really straightforward because you can actually find stuff that's local. And if it's not, usually they're happy to ship. But I have, yeah. uh, it's, it's really great. And they're also camera people. So right. you can have a conversation with them. They're happy to tell you the history of the camera. They're happy to tell you if there's any issues at all. And, and it's really great. And you've also done Craigslist, right? Which is another thing I've never done. I, I have done Craigslist as well. And I have 
I've had some really good experience of both buying and selling. I haven't uh, bought recently, but you know what happens is I get excited about Craigslist when I have a good experience, and then the next time I, you know, it's it just happened yesterday. I needed, I really wanted this lens, and I made an offer, and I said perfect. He said perfect. I'll take it. And I go, great, just tell me where to meet you. We can meet somewhere. And he goes, terrific, I'll, I'll, I'll write you in an hour. So he wrote me in an hour and said, uh, the lens is gone. What? That's I don't even understand that. What well, was the... That's what happened. What? Oh. I, don't, I didn't ask questions. I, I, in my head, is like, yeah, that's why you don't like Craigslist. It's because sometimes this happens. <sighs> Gosh. I didn't also even the, ask. I was so upset. The, the meeting in person gives me pause. You know you what? Don't, if it's you don't a public hesitate to do that? No, because I've met some really great photographers, actually, like some pros, like really, really amazing pros. Yes, I sold um, uh, the Konica Hexar AF. Oh, that's uh, And I... I Why'd you sell that? Google? I sold it. I don't know why <laughs> I sold it. But I sold it, and I met this amazing photographer. Like, he was taking it to Europe for the shoot, and, you know, it was this pocket camera, and... And we just got in a long conversation. It was great. Like a really, really nice guy. And I haven't had um, any real scary experiences. Wow. I, I've i never looked on Craigslist. I've occasionally gone to like shopgoodwill.com to look for stuff. Yeah. But oh, is now you're giving that away. Oh, you're sorry. giving the, Now everyone's going to do it. Now everyone's going to do it. <laughs> I love um, that. Shop Goodwill. What about, is great. so when you do a sale on Craigslist, no one's going to catch you on this, Gabe, okay? But when you do a yep. sale on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist, do you pay sales tax on it? Do I pay when I make a sale? When you buy or sell something, do you have to incorporate sales tax? Like eBay does it automatically, obviously. No, that you just buy and sell. That's well, it. That's an advantage. That's Cash. a big advantage. Yep. Interesting. Oh, so it's an always a cat. Do you ever Venmo the guy when you see him in person or something? Uh, occasionally, yeah. Yeah, Okay. Well, but I'm always good... nervous about where I meet them. Like I'd love, I meet them outside of Starbucks or somewhere. Well, not now, but I would, right. I would, you know, when things are fine, I will meet someone in a very public place because I don't really want to be driving down somewhere and have some cash and they're going, what camera? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I really want to. I... Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I'm, I don't, okay. I'm going to experiment with this. I mean, obviously we're not going anywhere right now, but, right. but when, when things unlock a bit. I can see doing that. I can yeah. see it. I mean, it's basically the same as the camera show, except there isn't a table between you. Right. Yes. Yeah. Right. I want to ask, we touched on this a little bit, but I want to dig into it a little more. We talked a little while ago about how much scuffing and damage you're willing to tolerate in a camera. And I right. gave it some thought and I realized that I am much more willing to tolerate it if I'm seeing a camera right in front of me. Like, in other words, if I'm at the camera show and I see a really brassed, like, Nikon F and it's kind of beat up, but beat up in a really nice way, I am more likely to buy that camera than if I see that exact same camera photographed on eBay. Maybe because I'm closer to instant gratification. I, I think that's the only reason because you are a perfectionist when it comes to the you oh, know, okay. condition and of the camera. And you're really not. And but all I the am... cameras I've seen of yours are... Just no, they're really not. So so the way I got into it in the first place is I was the guy on eBay that said, look, I don't care if it's beat up beyond recognition, if it works perfectly and it it, it the glass is perfect and the camera works great, fantastic. I'm going to buy it. That's the care. person. Oh, I just want it. I just want it to work. I really just want it to work. I don't care what it looks like. I feel sometimes I feel safer if it's a little beat up and I'm out on the street and you know just shooting all the time. I just feel like it's okay. It's okay if it's a, it's a little beat up and it's an old film camera and I think it's fine. I've seen there's times when you know like you were mentioning at the camera show the the buyers from for other countries they're sometimes there from Japan and and other places and they only look for mint condition stuff like pristine. And the things that they think are a scuff, I laugh. I go, I couldn't even see that thing. Yeah. So No, I know when I buy from KEH sometimes and they have it classified as ugly, I have gotten a couple of what they call an ugly lens that to me looks beautiful. Me too. Just I've been beautiful. in the same position, yeah. 
Yeah. And I, the Rectiflex, I actually was just posting about this today. Right. I got a Rectiflex from KEH. I bought it on the website. I'd never seen a Rectiflex in person before. Right. But it's a camera I'd always been kind of fascinated with. And they had one listed as ugly for like, I think it was like $600 with the lens. That wow. is about half what they go for. Right. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to just roll the dice. It came and it was beautiful. Yeah, they're Absolutely they're really good beautiful. at grading their cameras, yeah. and they're uh, very generous. And I think that those ugly cameras are sometimes a way to go because yeah. I've never heard of someone getting an ugly one and it was in pieces. I, I had an experience one time where they sent me like a lens that the focus was kind of sticky, right? And so, and actually, it was a really cheap lens. It was a Konica forty millimeter, which is a pancake, which as you know, right. I love. Of course. And it was like it was only like twenty five dollars. And I called them and I said, hey, listen, the focus kind of binds on this. And they said, keep it. Oh, you're kidding. They just said, keep it. Well, like, we'll refund the money. You can keep it. If they, I mean, at That's this point. That's how you keep re- customers. Seriously. Yeah, exactly. I'm totally devoted to them. Here's what I was going to ask you. Yep. Engravings, engravings don't bother you? A dead guy's name engraved on the bottom of the camera? Somebody's social security number? <laughs> okay, honestly, um, no. Like, like it, here's, the, here's the thing. I do have a Nikon F where it has the serial has a serial number engraved on it. Yeah. And yes, it does bug me, but I love that camera. Like it's right. one of those things that doesn't make me go, oh, I'm gonna sell the camera. No, I mean engravings, look, engravings are at the limit. Like I'm usually more scratches and dings and dents because I feel that's been lived in and stuff like that. When someone takes, you know, an engraver to their camera. I think that's, uh, I'm sort of, I'm with you. I'm really debating at that point. That's the only thing I'm having yeah. trouble with. I have the one, the Alpa has all these engravings on it. And it really makes the camera look bad, in my opinion. Because right. there's, they didn't just engrave it once. I think I mentioned that it was a student camera from Hong Kong University. Right. So it has CMR, which stands for Center for Media Resources, HKU, engraved on it like 40 times. Okay. Like on the, the barrel of the lens, <laughs> yeah. the base of the camera, the top plate, the side, HKUniv is on the inside. I don't know what they thought. Was somebody going to part this out like a Chevy? <laughs> right. Um, exactly. I, exactly. I don't love it, but then... I did some research after I bought it, and I found out about the people who ran the Center for Media Resources. I actually got in touch via email with one of the men who had worked there, and it became kind of part of the personalization of the camera. It gave it a story, which I kind of liked. I do like that part, yes. Yeah. What about the reverse? What about people who take their Leica M3 and paint it blue? Look, here's the thing. (laughs) I have seen some really cool cameras out there i have seen i don't know what it's called chrome dipped or whatever it is you know where that looks like a shiny chrome yeah. piece of work that they've taken the entire thing apart uh i've seen the leatherette replaced i've seen you know all kinds of stuff and i think some of it is really cool i mean some of it i love like like the bright colors i used to love seeing those Hasselblads with the you know, whether it's red or yellow or blue or, you know, I thought that was that was really, really cool. I think it's interesting and people get really creative also with the soft releases. I mean, people have been making things and they're yeah. as expensive as jewelry. Like I've seen $250 soft releases. That's cool to me because you yep. can take it off and put it on as your mood strikes. That seems right. fine. I've actually thought about those, like the wood ones. They're yeah. so pretty looking. Beautiful. Yeah. That's great. And that's like an ornament. That to me is like which wristwatch you're going to wear on a given day. Like, do I right. want this soft release or this? That's nice. Some of the grips I think are cool. Right. E- cases, like aftermarket cases or half cases, that works for me too. I love it. But physically altering the camera itself oh my god i just think it's horrible it's horrible i would not pay more than twenty dollars for a camera like that like the m3s that people well yes i absolutely would right (laughs) those like the m3s where people send them off to kanto camera in japan and they strip them all the way down and then they paint them any way you want in any color scheme no, that to me is not a camera. Also, <laughs> well, you can shoot with that thing. I've, I've seen people who buy like a beat up M2 for really cheap. Like it's, you know, pretty dented and, and there's no leather or anything. And then they sand it down and they look pretty amazing. And they're one uh, of a kind. 
Just saying. Willful alteration or willful <laughs> attempts. We talked about the Lenny Kravitz edition. Right. Willful attempts to create the illusion of sexy brassing on a camera. I just think that's the worst. Okay, that's gone too far. Yes, I agree that that's just gone a little too far. And it doesn't really look right to me. Like when you see a picture <laughs> it's over of like, It's yes. overbrassed. Yeah. When you see like Gary Winogrand's black... I think it's an M2 or an MP. I can't remember which. And it's so worn because he took 50,000 photographs. And so it's worn across where his thumb landed. And that is so wonderful because it tells a story, like the engravings I'm talking about. It tells a story about the camera. Right. The attempts to sort of make it look as if it has a story is, to me, kind of phony. I think that the other thing, which um, I see the other side, is if you're a collector— and you want to collect all the original Leicas, like the Andy Summers Leica and the, you know, Nick yeah. Six Leica and the Lenny Kravitz Leica, then you're having these really unique pieces where there was a limited amount of them made. And to me, there's something interesting about that. But other than that, it's not, they're, you have, they're so expensive. Have you ever bought a special edition camera, a Leica or anything? Never. Have Never. You ever not that I wouldn't, oh. I've been tempted until I see how much they cost. Uh, I'm like, I'm going to buy that. And then I see how much they cost. I'm not going to buy that. When I first became interested in Leica, I think this was before I got the M6. It must have been. I joined the Leica Historical Society. You know, and they had a magazine and so forth. And it was really, really interesting because they would talk about all the esoterica that we love. And this was 20 years ago or something. They came out with, yes, it must have been. They came out with the Millennium Edition black paint Leica M6. And at the time, Leica themselves didn't make a black paint M6. They made a black chrome M6. And so the LHSA black paint edition, which was, it was not hysterically expensive, but it was a little more than the stock M6, was available. And I really thought about it, and I didn't get it, and that was stupid. I really wish I have. How much? I really was wish it? I had. Let's hear. Come I, on. I think that as a let's. I, I'm just going to ballpark this. The Leica M6 standard Leica M6 TTL. Buying it from Leica was five thousand dollars. The LHSA edition was seven thousand dollars. Got it. So it was a bit more, but like, dude, if you're in the five thousand dollar camera business, you're in the seven thousand yeah, dollar camera business. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And I really kind of regret it. I mean, I love my M6. I got exactly the right one with the finder I wanted and everything. I tend to prefer chrome cameras to black ones. But if I wanted a black one, I'd want it to be black paint. Right. I like whatever I don't have. That's pretty much me. Oh, I see. So um, I have a chrome. I'd like the black. If I had a black, I would like the chrome. (laughs) That's it. With all cameras, actually. Oh, he has that one. I I want that one. She has that one. I'd like hers. This is, I think, a difference between us, at least at this juncture. This wasn't always true of me. But I have very few multiples of the same camera, and I sense you have a lot. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> what's 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 going on there? Uh, I I uh, not a lot. I would say that um, in the Roloflex world, that's what I was. Going to I ask have about. I have found them at garage sales and at vintage stores and on and on. I've never paid a lot for them. I have paid a lot to fix them, but I have not paid a lot to uh, to purchase them. And I just love how they look, and I just was sort of addicted to them. It looked to me like you had at least a dozen, and maybe Roloflex. No, no, no. I have. I probably have about probably twelve TLR cameras. That is altogether. a that is a dozen, Gabe. No, no, no. <laughs> TLRs. Oh, oh, I thought you were okay. saying Roloflex. <laughs> oh, all right. You're counting Wait, is the twelve Mamiya. a dozen? Is twelve a dozen? <laughs> Last time I checked. Don't we have a so dozen you, shows? You're <laughs> counting the Mamiya C330 and your other... Yes. What other TLRs mm-hmm. do you have? Do you have a Yashica or a... What I have a have? Uh, Yashica, an Icoflex. Nice. I have um, Minolta. Yeah. And C330 and the C220. Um, yeah. I, I really love those cameras. What other cameras do you have multiples of besides that? I... I really don't. I think that I think it's oh, really it. those. I think the only multiples I have two Yashica T4s because I use them all the yeah, time. But I and bought they wear them out. fifteen yeah. years ago, and they were nothing. Yeah. Um, I think that's really it. 
I think that's really it. I have, I mean, I have a certain amount of Leicas, but it's not the same. No, they're not the same model. Yeah, I do have two M6s. That's it. Talk to me about when you were, you have a lot of cameras. I have a lot of cameras. Obviously, there is that moment when you're going out the door and you have to decide what to bring with you. Right. Uh, How's that work for you? It is the thought process alone, the anxiety I get. I'm going to go to the grocery store. I will bring three cameras. I will bring my, <laughs> I will bring my M6. I will bring my um, uh, Rolleiflex 2.8, and I will bring the little Yashica T4. And the thought of like what I'm gonna do, and, and what if the battery goes down? I got to bring an extra battery, and I got to bring extra film. What if the film gets caught? Uh, what if this happens? I got to have backup. I go through all this stuff just to go to the grocery, store. and I'm going to the grocery store as if something's going to happen. Like I'm gonna be a war correspondent in Pacific <laughs> Palisades. I mean, it's just it's like nothing's gonna happen. I'm going to the grocery store. I'm getting some vegetables, and then I'm gonna yeah. get in my car and go home, and nothing has happened. But in my mind, I'm like, what if something does happen? What if some? What if someone needs a photojournalist all of a sudden? Has that, anything that ever happened? Never. Nothing never. has ever happened where I have needed a camera. You've never it had the never. moment of like, thank God I brought the Roly. <gasps> no, never. No. Never. I, you, I mean, there's but, been times on sets that I've been like, thankfully I had my camera with me. Yeah, and that's that's great. I rare. I have the same thing. I have the certain paralysis. Usually for me. It's because I'm going to go for a bike ride and I have a little front carrier on my bike and I want to know which camera to throw in it. And a lot of the time that dictates that the camera is going to be smaller and more expendable because I do have this nightmare sometimes about I hit a bump and the Alpa goes into the LA River. Right. You know, and so I always have to think, okay, I want to bring the camera that's my favorite to shoot with, but at the same time, I don't want to risk the horror. And also... It also gets to the point, and this is one of the reasons why, as I mentioned, the Olympus XA4 is the camera I shot with the most last year. Sometimes I just want the littlest thing. I just want the littlest, easiest, like that I could, that I don't even have to pull over to take the shot. I can just reach in the carrier bag, pull it out, work it with one hand and keep riding. Yeah. I'm always like, what lens? And and if I bring a 35, I got to bring a 50. And I'm so, I, I sort of, I'm always in that world. And then... You know, when I have it in my bag and my shoulder's breaking, then I'm like, I can't believe I just, I can't believe I brought all this stuff. And I always have dream, uh, the visions of being able, those guys who walk around and those photographers who walk around and just take pictures of everything and have their camera bag and they all look cool and they just on and on. I saw, I saw this woman with a Rolleiflex last week and uh, she was by Pacific Coast Highway and just, she had, you know, the outfit, it was just like, casual like whatever and was as comfortable as can be and all i'm thinking uh, of is like where's the rest of your camera gear wow <laughs> and she I, was as happy as could be i rarely bring more than one camera unless honestly unless i'm like going on a trip right or i'm gonna shoot pictures of my girlfriend because right. sometimes when shooting i want to have a couple of different options in, right. and usually what i do i don't i I'm trying to think if this is true. I was going to say sometimes I just outfit each camera with one lens, but that's not always true. Sometimes I do bring multiple lenses for a camera, but it's very, very rare that I bring a lot of gear with me. Right. Um, you know, usually it's an SLR and a point and shoot something. Right. Or, you know, or it's a medium format and a point and shoot something. And sometimes, and this is, I, I hesitate even to say this, but sometimes the backup camera just is the iPhone. Right. You know, I brought the Pentax 6x7 and it's such a load. I don't want to bring a second thing. So if I need, if it jams or I run out of film, I have the iPhone and it's got a great camera on it. So I'll just... Uh, and I, and I also keep things around always in case something goes wrong. So in my car right now, besides a cleaning kit and batteries and extra film, you know, it's the worst place to keep film ever. But just in case... I keep all that kind of stuff. I keep a little tripod in the car. I, you know, it's just, it's, I don't know why. It's just, if something happens, I'll be prepared. <laughs> and yet you're saying that these happenstances have never actually happened. Nothing's ever happened. I have but, yeah. taken, I, I mean, I will also, when I go to lunch with friends, I'm always taking a camera and I will take pictures. Yeah, like, I that do I, too. That I, that I will do. Yeah, I feel weird if I go out to a gathering or something. I haven't done this in a while, but if I go out to a gathering and I don't have a camera along, people right. say, "Where's your camera?" Right, exactly. 
<laughs> you know, they're so used to it. It's at the this same point. thing, right? I also think it is kind of a social lubricant as well. It's a good way to like, particularly if I'm going to a party and I don't know a lot of people, it's a right. good way to sort oh, of- Oh, look at the camera, it, right. Yeah, because whatever camera it is, it's going to be weird. Nobody right. carries around a film camera. Right. And right. I've actually, a couple of my Instagram buddies are people where I was at Little Dom's Right. And I'm sitting with my camera and I see at the next table or a couple people and one of them has a film camera and there's there an go. automatic conversation starter. Yeah. And then there's that third person who comes up and says, you can still get film for those. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you don't really, do you have a default set of gear that you would take out with you on a portrait shoot or like go into the grocery store or does it change every time? It changes all the time. It's actually more on, on a portrait shoot. I will bring um, five cameras, and five. I will I will bring five cameras. So I will bring the uh, M6 film. I'll bring a, a digital. I will bring a uh, the Rolleiflex. I'll bring the T4, and I will bring the um, Nikon uh, FM2, fifty. I would be overwhelmed right there. And they also all have different personalities. The shots I get from them are all different. They just feel different. Can you articulate how? Or is well, it just a- I, I, it's a film thing. It's just like the, the you know, I think um, uh, the Nikon lets me focus closer. And I just think that 50 is beautiful. It's not the expensive one. It's a 1.4, and it just nails it every time for portraits. Uh, that's a great one. The 35 millimeter on the um, uh, on the M6, great stuff. Environmental portraits, all that stuff works great. The Rolleiflex, the square format, gives me sort of a great thing. And the um, Yashica T4, it's just I keep the flash on, and it gives us sort of this cool sort of vintage, you know, retro yeah. look and I, I love it I put some expired film in there and I'm happy it's interesting the way you just describe it because it's almost like the camera facilitates your use of a particular lens as opposed to the other way around yeah. crazy which I think is pretty no that I get that I actually get that like the one of the principal reasons I love that Alpa it's not the easiest camera to use but that 50 millimeter lens is my favorite 50 right. beautiful and the principal reason I use it is for that and also because one of the things that's great about the Alpa is it has a very, this is getting deep in the weeds, but it has a very short uh, flange to film distance, which means that it's very easy to make adapters for Alpas so you can mount other lenses on oh, it wow. because Alpa did not make their own glass. So there are adapters for Pentax screw mount and there's an adapter for the Nikon F mount. And I have a few of those. Right. So I usually shoot the Nikon 105, which I love beautiful on the alpa so when i bring the alpa along i usually am bringing the 50 and the 105 and that's the camera that i'm shooting with because i can shoot both of my favorite lenses on it right you know i was i posted the other day about my my other sort of favorite travel camera which is the leica cl and the main reason i love the cl is it's incredibly durable it is a camera what it is the rare camera in my collection i would not hesitate to take out in a rainstorm right because it just fe- it, it probably isn't weatherproof but it feels so durable and it also it has a 40 and i love 40s you know the only 40 like ever made is that sumicron c right. and the only camera that has a 40 millimeter frame line is the leica cl so that is a camera for years. If I had to pick one and toss it in a bag to go on a trip, That's it would always one. be the CL, and I would never be disappointed. It's a great um, camera. You know, it's great camera. The CL still kind of underrated, in my opinion. Like, they only go for... You can be in the Leica business for three, dollars $400. Absolutely. You can have a good Leica body. And I would choose that before I'd choose a Bessa. Yeah. You know, I think it's just... I don't know. It's just a cooler, smaller camera. I like it. Yeah. So yeah, I often, uh, the walk out the door has a lot to do with the mood of like, which one haven't I played with recently? I try to make sure that I rotate through them. And if I haven't used one lately, I try to get rid of it. Um, I've gotten rid of most of the duplicates in the collection. Um, But there's also a certain kind of neophilia, like the last one I got is the one I'm convinced I want to shoot. Right, of course. If you had to commit to the old photos class one camera one lens one film stock mm-hmm. what would that be 
Um, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I would. Right, but if you, you would have no, you. But that's what would have to happen. Um, if if you were going to say to me, no, no. If you were to say to me, first of all, you'd have to be here. You'd have to be at my house, and you'd have to make <laughs> sure because I need a monitor. I need like a monitor that you know I'm not sneaking another like camera. Like a sober buddy. Yeah, I need a sober buddy to make sure I'm not sneaking an extra <laughs> camera in my camera bag. So if you were telling me I that I can take one camera and one lens, it would be, and I can only take one camera. And one film stock. And one, one film, film stock. stock. Okay, so it would be, uh, the film stock would be HP5. And okay. I would, if it was only one camera, it would be the M6 and the old 35 millimeter F2 lens. But that is but again, you would have to be monitoring problem? me. Yes. Run it for me again. An M6, a 35 Summicron, and HP5, yeah. And is there a why to that? No. Is that because you've had so much success with that combo? I just, I, it's the camera that I know how to use the best. It's the camera that never fails me. Um, I, I enjoy digital, but I just, I love film so much more. And I find myself second guessing digital. So it's not as enjoyable. I love shooting it. But then I'm looking down, I'm going, oh, that's not right. And then I have to look down again. And oh, that's not right. And I'm adjusting, adjusting, adjusting. With the M6, I'm just shooting. I'm just shooting. Yeah. I just look, I shoot, see the exposure, I'm done. I don't have any issues with that. It's That's the one that I feel the most comfortable with. I, you know, it's so funny. I had an answer ready. And then as you started talking, my answer changed. <laughs> All right, so I'll tell you the answer that I had ready, yes. and then I'll tell you what the actual answer is. The answer I had ready was the Alpa with the 50 loaded with Fuji Superior 400. Nice. Which is my favorite color stock and the one that I've used the most in that camera. Somehow, the combination of the way that that lens renders color right. and the Fuji film, it is just a beautiful color palette that I love. Right. But then you made me realize that in mixed lighting conditions, color film is going to suck. And so maybe that's not. So then it went. Then I went back to you know, over the years, the camera that I have been happiest when I know I have it in my bag would be the CL with the forty millimeter lens and Ilford XP2 Super. There you go. Not that I don't love Triax or HP5 because I love them, but XP2 scans better because it's a dye based film stock right. rather than silver based. Right. You know the. It's chroma. Do you ever shoot XP2 chromogenic? Rarely. I have some, but yeah. I love it. I love it. So XP2, um, it it has enormous latitude for a 400 speed film. I mean, you can just throw anything at That's it. That's great. And get a really nice, really, really nice image with just the right amount of grain. And so I feel like if I had to do the all-purpose thing, it would be, yeah, the CL, the 40, and XP2 understanding that I'm depriving myself of color film and, and stuff like that. Nice. But it's funny. Like I said, I had a prepared answer, but then I had to think yeah, about okay, it. Yeah, okay. I understand that. I understand it. <laughs> you know, you mentioned that when you buy a camera, you already have in your mind that uh, it's probably going to require repair. Yes. Do you send out every camera you buy for a CLA? No. Or do you evaluate it yourself and then No, decide? I usually evaluate it myself. And uh, it, it has to be really bad for me to go get it fixed. I mean, I had um, I had this Roloflex 3.5 that I loved. I absolutely loved. And it was, I could tell, the shutter was going. There was so much, you know, you shake it, there'd be a rattle. And I love this camera. And I bought it to Steve's. And, you know, you sit there and you think and you go, okay, these it's expensive. We're in Los Angeles. And... Yeah. To get the camera fixed, you you really have to go through your head. Oh my gosh, I could just get another camera for this amount of money. But then you don't know if you're getting another camera that's perfect. If they're going to fix it and it's expensive and it's going to be a great job, then I won't have to fix it for years and years. So I sort of in, am in that thinking when I bring it in. And, uh, and I have brought a few of them in, but it's really, it's rare. I'm not bringing a lot of cameras in. Is Steve's? It's so interesting you mentioned that we never talked about this, but you're talking about Steve's in Culver, Culver City. City. Is yeah, that yeah, your, yeah. Is that your preferred? It, it's preferred because he's LA? local. Um, he's been great with my repairs. He has been, um, you know, I've been able to get them back. You know, if I'm shooting something, I'm able to get them back pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, my problem is, 
I have no patience at all. So I can't wait for anything to be repaired. I can't wait for anything to be made. I can't wait. Like, I, yes. if I'm going to get it, I need to get it. Like, I don't want something yeah. that's going to ship in a month from now. Like, I have no patience for that. I have used Steve's, too, and they're really, really good. They do a great job. And, yeah, turnaround is a couple of weeks at the outside. He's usually pretty good. Yep. And he'll work on just about anything. I've actually never had a bad experience there. They've worked on a lot of my cameras. It's funny. I mentioned Zvi, my cranky old right. repair right. guy in Sherman Oaks who had the glass case. Steve has a glass case, too. I know, and he won't sell anything. And he won't and sell it's anything. Always, and, and, and also and, there's one that's like you're dying for that camera and it's just sort of tilted over as if no one cares about it and you're just going, yes, why can't I have a camera? You don't want it. You're not loving that camera. You're just going to take it apart and use it on someone else's camera. Yeah, I'm, that's right. I'm very... that's, you don't care about it or it wouldn't be sideways in the case. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or you have three of them. Exactly. That's the other thing. There's, uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they're pretty they've been pretty honest with uh with my stuff and I can bring in and say, look, do I need something or not? So it's been great. Right. Do you have any send away repair places that you favor for your for your gear? I have used Dag camera, Don Goldberg. He's really I, good. He worked on my Minoxes. I have used so many like <laughs> the list goes on Sherry Crowder I've used. For specific makes then. Like Sherry, you would send her a Leica. Yeah, probably, so right? Leica and now it's mostly Steve because I'm not sending away anything unless it's, you know, I did send that garage sale Leica in and they sent it right back and said it's perfect working order. The one from 1934. So that was, you know. Yeah, Don Goldberg from DAG, he worked on a couple of Minoxes for me when I got my Minox Riga I just asked him to just check it out because they're they're very rare and they're you know they're almost a hundred years right. old and so I just had him check that out and he's actually repaired a couple of Minoxes for me over the years. Very few people work on that camera, yep. um, but he does a great job. And then my kind of camera repair guru is this guy Radu Lasaru, mm. who used to be in New York. He is now in Florida, and his company is Three R Camera, and he is. I think the only Alpa repairman left on the planet. Wow. Um, I think, you know, he trained with, you know, at the Alpa factory in Switzerland. or I, <laughs> I, I don't know how this works. Right. Somehow he has the experience and also the, the bench of parts. You know, the way that I first got in touch with him, when I bought my Alpa, I think I might have mentioned the little finger that held the take-up spool in place was missing. Right. And so I started thinking, oh, my God, am I going to have to, like, have a guy at a machine shop fabricate one of these things? And so I just saw that this guy worked on Alpas, and I emailed him, and I said, is there any chance? He said, oh, yeah, I got three of them. Oh, that's great. I'll mail it to you. That's who you so want. So he mailed it to me, and I actually installed it myself. Wow. <laughs> it was very exciting. But over the years, whenever I have a camera repair conundrum that no one else wants, he's the guy I contact. This is crazy, but... The cult of Alpa is so bizarre that even the most quotidian Alpa equipment goes for hundreds and it hundreds of dollars. It goes for a fortune, for especially that lens. Yeah. The lens that you have yeah. is like oh, the that biggest lens, thing. The lens is far more valuable than the camera. But an Alpa lens shade. Okay, now come on. It's just a lens shade, except Alpa being Alpa. It doesn't attach the way any other lens shade does. <laughs> it doesn't screw into the front or snap on or something. It has a little piece of spring steel on it that you bend and then you insert the lens and then you let go of the spring and it hangs onto the lens. It's the dumbest design. <laughs> but expensive. But expensive. And so when you try and buy, I actually was on eBay looking at this just the other night. If you want to buy an Alpa lens shade new, you want to take a guess at what an Alpa lens shade goes for? Uh, $175. $350. No. I was being generous. $350. I was saying $175. It's got to be... 350. Wow. So I happened to be at the camera show and there was an Alpa lens shade in the box for $20, except it was missing the piece of spring steel. That's I awful. bought it anyway. 20 bucks. I bought it anyway. Right. I reached out to my friend Radu Lasaru at 3R Camera and I said, is there any way you could fabricate? He said, oh yeah, send it to me. So he made a perfect piece of spring steel, just like the original, for $30. Right. And now I have effectively this $350 lens shade. So now and no all, other lens shade will fit the camera. Right. But I'm wondering if you did find another lens shade, okay? 
that yes. was made by Larry's camera, um, yeah. <laughs> fictitious Larry's camera, and it fit on your Alpa, you would sort of think as you're shooting, this isn't a real Alpa lens shade. <laughs> I think that would just start gnawing at you. Like, this is not the real deal. And I don't know. And I know this feeling. I know the feeling you're going, first of all, no one in the world is going, oh, look at that guy. He's got a fake Alpa. You know, <laughs> no one. Zero. No one. No one. No, no barely one anyone's ever heard of that camera. But I mean, people, yeah. people who know nothing about photography are going to go, oh, wow. Jeff can't get the real thing. <laughs> Interestingly, I don't know that I would feel that way. Uh-huh. But, and and to prove it, there actually is, okay, again, Alpa is stupid. You can't screw a filter into the front of that lens. <laughs> right. Every filter is made specifically for the lens, but some it's a snap-on. Right. That is not what you want. No. You don't want to snap anything into the front of a lens. You might scratch the lens, but that's how Alpa designed it. A genius fabricated a snap-on to 49 millimeter adapter. So you can put, you snap it on, and now you can use all of your 49 millimeter screw-in filters on the Alpa, which is what I did. And I'm sure an Alpa purist would look at that and go, no, that is not the actual (laughs) filter. But I use it anyway. That's how I feel like camera shows. I feel like someone's looking at me and going, look at your lens shade. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, what do you think? This reminds me, what do you think about people who judge those who put, for example, a Voigtlander Nocton on their Leica camera. First of all, I love it. So I'm not the one who Me judges. Too. I think it's the coolest thing ever. And I'm, I love that they're shooting with something that they love. Like it's a lens that they found something about and it's not a bazillion dollars and, and it works great. Um, but I have seen that. I can see, oh, huh. You know, you see that at the camera show where someone's selling all this Leica stuff and they go, oh, how do you like that lens? <laughs> and then you're like, and yeah, and it's like you see sometimes these little you know tiffs will break out on Facebook boards, right? Where it's like somebody says, "Oh my God, I'm using the Nocton and I just love it." And it's like, why in the world would you spend seven grand for a right. Leica only to put some crappy piece of Japanese glass on it? Why would you do that? <laughs> That's crazy. I it's mean, crazy. it is crazy. It is crazy. But I do. Weirdly, I weirdly get it. Even right, as because I I'm right. What I said I don't to you, subscribe to. I'm telling you, if you had a, an Alpha lens shade that wasn't Alpha lens shade, it would drive you nuts. I know it. You're saying it wouldn't. Do you use third party lenses on in on any of your like SLRs? Absolutely not. Yes, of course. <laughs> no on, would on you SLRs. Use, okay, let me just yeah. let me just throw something out. Sure, Soligor lens i would use any lens that had a cool look to it it's like i'm very much now into the you know into the world of oh my gosh let's see what this does let's see if this has a personality or not let's use something in the junk pile and see if this works i'm i love love experimenting with stuff but that's new there was a time where i would just look at the stuff at the end of the table at those camera shows and just go whatever you know i'm I'm not going to use that i would use that lens and and the truth is it's like look a photographer could take the cheapest camera in the world, a great photographer, and make a great picture. It's really yeah. true. It's really true. It really has very little to do with the equipment. And um, But I love experimenting now with, with different lenses. It's very fun. It's interesting we're talking about this because when I got that Rectiflex, you know, which was listed as ugly, it was a little foggy in the viewfinder. Right. Just a little haze in the viewfinder. And right. so I thought, you know what? I'm just going to send it to Radu. Because he works, again, one of the rare and exotic cameras that he works on. And have him clean it out. Just give it a thorough cleaning. Because the Rectiflex is an exquisitely engineered camera. It's really, really well made. And I thought, what you were saying, if I work on it once, it'll last another 30 years before I need to service it again. So he worked on it and he got all the haze off the interior elements of the viewfinder. And when I put the lens, I just sent him the camera, not the lens. Right. Camera comes back. I put the lens on. I look through and I realize the haze is in the lens. Okay, that's hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> that's hysterical. Look, it's as clear as a bell. You did a great yes. job. If I only right. sent you the part that wasn't working. Right. <laughs> right. And so I thought, and it's interesting, Gabe, I'm not really like this, but I thought, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to shoot with this lens that's a little bit hazy and see what happens. Yep. It's 
lovely. Yep. It gives this soft, it's an uncoated lens from the 1950s. A xenon, very nice lens actually, right. Schneider Kreuschnach. Mm-hmm. And it gives a lovely kind of roundness and softness, like this Julia Margaret Cameron kind of quality Love her to the stuff. images. Oh, and it's just lovely. And I like it for that. And right. so, yeah, when I want to shoot portraits with that quality, particularly like by window light or something, absolutely, it is perfect for yep. that. And so I came around. But it does bug me that I was stupid. <laughs> it definitely, <laughs> definitely bugs me. <laughs> definitely. I'm like that all the time. Let's close out. We got a few minutes left here uh, as we're rounding out our discussion of the search for perfection. I want to talk about not necessarily the camera that you love using the most or the camera that's your favorite or the camera that's your most treasured, but the one that you feel the strongest emotional connection to. Well, I think mine is both. I think it's the first M6 that I traded all of my equipment that I owned in order to afford the body. I, I traded all that old camera, you know, that Canon film gear, lenses yeah. and all, and in a giant bag, and I received a tiny little box back with, yeah. the, with, the, <laughs> M, with the M6. And right. I feel that that one, I'm, and it's also the only camera I had during Freaks and Geeks, and I shot, you know, the cast and friends. I shot, you know, Seth Rogen's first headshots on those when oh, we were doing the show so Undeclared. Great. I shot Ozzy Osbourne. I mean, there was a lot of Peter Dinklage when before Peter was famous. You know, we would go shoot a bunch of stuff. He did some stuff with us, and we did a pilot with him. And I just feel like that one with that same 35 millimeter um, lens, I had to sell other stuff in order to afford that. Um, I think that's the one I'm I'm bonded with the most, and that's why I think yeah. I'm sure I feel more comfortable with it. So it is a camera that's part of your story as a photographer. It sounds right, like, and that's it's one scratched, of the and it's you know it's it's got dings and dents and and but yeah, I love it. And you did not, I think you told me this, but that is not a camera you got new, right? Oh no, 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 no. This is the one that when Don Chatterton was around and he was in, um, I believe Washington, he used to just carry Leica M's, and I remember writing to him. And saying, what will it take? What could I trade? And I <laughs> told him everything I had, everything. And it was silence on the phone. It was nothing was interesting. And then I had all this Canon film gear, which has since gone to be worth very little. But he, sure. he just, uh, I said this and I said, how about these three lenses and these two bodies and silence? So then I kept adding and adding and adding until he went, <laughs> okay, I'll take that. So then I boxed everything up. And send it to him, and I've never been happier waiting for a camera and just getting it. I just remember it so well, um, you know, just, just taking it out and just completely loving it. Just like this is very, very cool. How many years ago was that? That was Freaks and Geeks. It was 22 years ago. It's so funny. I feel like you and I, our renaissance of interest in film photography happened at exactly the same time. <laughs> For me, it was about 22 years ago, but right. it was because my son was born. Right. And there was suddenly a very, very interesting subject to photograph, even more interesting than our dog. Right. And so I broke out my old film cameras and started shooting again. And as we've talked about, film gear was so inexpensive, relatively speaking, yep. um, that uh, that you could acquire it relatively cheaply. But that's that's sort of the arc for me, too. It was about 22 years ago that I started shooting again. Yeah, and you can... and. I, I just think any camera that you've you've used the most and you actually keep going back to, I think that's that's a thing that it, that's why I'm bonded with that camera. I just yeah. I love it, and it's the one that if everything went away, I would just want to keep that camera. That would be it. Well, it's interesting you give me the perfect entree because mine is the camera that I've used the most, which is this little guy, love the it. Olympus 35RC. This camera, you know, after I, I used my, when I was taking those photography classes from my teacher at summer camp and right. pretending I was allergic to horses so I could take two photography classes instead of one. The camera I was using was a Practica that belonged to my dad. And then when I got really interested in photography, he helped me trade that, I think, to a neighbor or I don't know how he did this, but for a Voigtlander Vito 2A, which I still have. 
but I wanted a camera with a rangefinder. I wanted a camera with a meter. And so when I was, I think, 12 years old, 11, 12 years old, I saved all my babysitting money. And I bought this, and I did all this research, all of this research, all these photography magazines that I read, like weighing whether it was better to get <laughs> the Canon G3 QL17 right. or the Petri Color 35 or the Konica C35, all of which I have used and enjoyed in the years since. The Minolta Hi-Matic F. Right. These were all the little rangefinders of the day. And I landed on the 35RC, which I just love it. And it's funny because I had two of them for a while. But look at the I condition. Is- the condition of this camera, for those of you that don't have their zooms on with us, uh, yes. is mint. And it's beautiful. Like it's, it's, it's still in, shiny. You, it's in pretty great shape. It's funny because I had had the camera a few years and we were at a, a party at a neighbor's house or something. And I had brought my camera along because I took it with me everywhere. And I asked my mom to keep it in her pocketbook for me. And she dropped it. And it got a huge gash, like right on the back. And you actually couldn't advance the film because it right. was so dented. She sent it off and got it fixed for me oh, back wow. then. So and cool. since then, it has never been repaired. I mean, I've put new foam light seals in it. I did that myself, actually. I had Zvi work on it. Actually, look at that. So look at it's that. Got the a label. Superior cameras seal in it. But I had two of them for a while. I bought a like a really, really super, super immaculate one because I was afraid to use the original from when I was 12. Right. And I got rid of the other one because I wanted to use this exact one. It is a lovely little rangefinder with shutter speed and aperture in the viewfinder. It's shutter priority. It's one of the rare cameras of this size and shape that has a speed dial on the top like right. an SLR. And it's got automatic and manual, so you can wow. actually set the aperture, unlike a lot of the cameras I It's just funny, because we're going to have to post the difference between my first camera and your first camera. What was your first camera? The um, the Yashica Electro 35. Well, that's a really nice camera. Uh, no, 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 no. The condition. Oh, the condition. Mine that's been moved since I was 13 looks like it was drop- been dropped off the Empire State Building. <laughs> and... Yours is perfectly like, how did you protect that thing? My camera, you can't even, there's nothing going on with my camera. My camera doesn't click. It doesn't work. It doesn't. I think it's because I, I mean, I'm weird about my stuff, I guess, but I think it's also <laughs> because I've, I've used it fairly consistently. It's never wow. like sat in a garage. That's amazing. You know, I was, I was at a friend's house recently and he had a camera I had given him um, and he went and got it, and he, you know. And I talked about my renaissance of interest in film and so forth. And he went and got the camera I had given him, and it had obviously been sitting in the garage. <laughs> I don't want to say anything. You busted it. it is what you're saying? It had obviously been in the garage. This has never been in the garage. This has always been like, you know, I've always shot with it. Even after I got the Canon EF, which was the camera I got right after this one, right. which was my first SLR, I still shot with this because it's it's adorable, and people love them. People yep. still love the 35RC. It's a great camera. It's probably why I fell in love with the 40 millimeter focal length because this is a 42 millimeter lens. I mean, really, the Leica CL I mentioned is this camera with interchangeable lenses. Right. Basically right. the same thing. That's crazy. Well, there you have it. There you have it, folks. <laughs> You've spent another hour with us. You've spent episode six. Episode Will six. Will we be back next time? We're hopefully so if we get picked up. If the network picks us up. <laughs> Please um, love us, please. Please love us, please love us. <laughs> oh, I want to thank everyone. People continue to reach out to us with messages on Instagram. Uh, and we so appreciate all of the love and validation. We've Amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We also, if we haven't already, by the time this airs, we're going to be a guest on The Mothership. Yes. Sometime in the next week or two. It's very exciting. Uh, Graham has invited us to appear on the Sunny 16 Mothership, so hopefully we won't have repeated all these stories <laughs> by the time you hear this We will episode. try. We will try not to, but it's, uh, it's very exciting. As always, we'd like to encourage you to visit our website, idreamofcameras.com, which features links to all these episodes, pictures of our camera collections, little bios on us, and our ever-expanding merch page. Yes, the ever-expanding merch page. It's you very exciting. You want to talk exciting. about the most recent addition to the merch uh, page? I think they have to look. I think they it's, have to look. Uh, I think uh, it's, it's really worth 
taking a trip over there and going yeah, to the bottom of our merch that, phase. Yeah, let's just say that uh, a throwaway line from Gabe <laughs> in last time's episode became a t-shirt. That's the coolest <laughs> thing ever. It is the it coolest really, thing. really, really, really fun. My brother Keith, who was, re- who was responsible for our online identity, is very good at his job. Amazing. Thank and you, similarly Keith. good at his job, Fred Corey. Fred Corey, um, we love your music. We love the theme song. He's a great follow on Instagram, too. Oh, he's uh, so fun. He's so great. Just great. Check him. Is it Fred Corey on Instagram? Is that his handle? Yeah, it's, it's, it's right, Fred check Corey. Check him out, everybody. And we are taking suggestions. Anything you want us to cover, uh, please message us. I am S. Jeff Greenstein on the Instagram. And I am at Gabe Sachs. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention. It's Groundhog Day. Perhaps we'll record this same episode tomorrow. We're going to start it all over in about five minutes. Right. Thank you all. Thank you again. Thank you again.